When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Ben, today's topic is one that uh, that you wanted to have, have us record, right? Um, yep. Kind of a uh, compare-contrast between the uh, the military version of the, uh, what is it here? It's it's H, uh, what is it, H-M-M-V-H-H-V-V-V-H-M? <laughs> Pretty good, Scott. It is the High Mobility Multipurpose Wheeled Vehicle, the H-M-M-W-V. Ah, versus the civilian H-1. And uh, we'll probably also talk about the H-2 and H-2 three that, that came later, mm-hmm. but uh, this is mainly a comparison between uh, the military version and the civilian version, and uh, the capabilities of, and I, I think we probably, man, we can do a little history, right? Just yeah. A, just a little bit. Yeah, let's start with uh, some history here. So, the Humvee is familiar to not only all U.S. military personnel, but a lot of other people in countries around the world because this has been a go-to vehicle for decades mm-hmm. for the for the military and in the late 70s according to the production uh, according to the production company AM General the manufacturer uh, the US army said we need a better performing vehicle to replace a number of different vehicles that we're already using so we've got some we've got some vehicles that are just designed for a certain type of terrain some vehicles that are just uh regional for one reason or another let's see if we can find a silver bullet mostly jeep vehicles right yeah mostly jeep vehicles the M151 series uh and then some civilian trucks that were adapted for military use you know have some armaments on them mm-hmm. have some uh much better tires um not a dig at civilian tires. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, you know, they retrofitted these and they did some aftermarket mods, which is common in military adaptations of vehicles. So the Army wanted their silver bullet, right? And they came up with this idea of, again, the high mobility multipurpose wheeled vehicle or the HMMWV, or even more familiar, what is now known as the Humvee. Now, this started kind of on paper. Uh, in the concept stages right before 1980, around 1979. And so the Army issued this sort of uh, request for proposals. Uh, they said, here are 
the specs that we need a new vehicle to reach to replace all of the vehicles we have in our one-fourth to one and one-fourth ton range. So they really needed this. Yeah, yeah. And you, can I tell you that uh, it mm. debuted actually to the public, really. I mean, the first time a lot of um, – I suppose a lot of times – you know, the first time a lot of us Americans saw mm-hmm. uh, the the Humvee, the military Humvee, was around 1985, and the first really good look at it that we got was in the, uh, I think it was in the Gulf War. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, the Operation Desert Storm, um, and it wasn't long after that that there was a civilian model that followed the H1, uh, and we'll talk about that, I promise. But you, know, you mentioned um, AM General, yeah, and uh, and they're the uh, the producers, the builders of this this vehicle. Um, can I just tell you a little bit about what's going on with AM General? That would be um, great. They are a subsidiary of AMC, which is, of course, American Motors Corporation. And American Motors Corporation, uh, which was then, I mean, there's a complex bit of history that goes along with this. Mm-hmm. But we won't really get into it, but. Um, AMC was bought up by Chrysler in '87, and then out of business in 1988. And then AM General kind of hang, you know, held on um, and continued to build these uh, these these military vehicles. And you know, I guess the uh, the H1, which was the uh, civilian version, right. they, they built that as well. Um, a lot of people confuse General Motors with this, and General Motors doesn't really come into the picture until uh, 1999 when they bought the Hummer brand from AM General. And, uh, that's when they started producing the civilian, the, the even, even more civilian, if you can call it that, <laughs> right. uh, versions, which were the H2 and the H3. And mm-hmm. you know, we can talk about those two in a, in a minute, but, um, let's just quickly maybe get back to, uh, the, the Humvee, which is the military version. Okay. And what, I mean, what did people think when they first saw this? I mean, it had to have been just something remarkable. I mean, think about it. You've, you've seen these, you know, the Jeep vehicles on the battlefield for so long. Mm-hmm. They're small. They're very capable, very uh, adept at carrying what they needed to, sure. whether it was troops, materials, uh, you know, towing, whatever they had to do. Suddenly, there's this this behemoth. It's a yeah. huge vehicle compared to the Jeep vehicles, really. Yeah, it's a monster. It's got a 16-inch ground clearance. It uh, can weigh up to it can weigh up to three tons, depending on the modifications. It comes in multiple variations. Uh, Scott, when this thing hit the public eye, it was a beast. Um, well, it still is. I mean, there yeah, are, it still is, and there are eleven variants of it. I found uh, right. on the AM General site, um, you know. 11 variants of this. Now, a lot of them are, you know, let's say it's a cargo troop carrier. Sure. They'll have a cargo troop carrier with winch, and then they'll have an armament carrier, and then they'll have an armament carrier with, with winch. winch. So, so that's kind of a, a lot of them. But there's a, there's a tow carrier. Uh, I mentioned the cargo troop carrier. There's an ambulance. Yeah, the ambulance, the shelter carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the, uh, the heavy duty HMM. VW, which is the uh, has a payload up to forty four hundred pounds, mm-hmm. uh, so and even uh, even heavier than the other Humvee vehicles. Uh, right now, all of these though have some of the same common specs. They're mm-hmm. all about fifteen feet long. Uh, they all are about a little over seven feet wide. Which is first off, if you think about it, I'm just going to preface a soapbox I'm getting to mm-hmm. later. First off, if you think about it, where should you be driving this? Should you be driving this in an all-terrain rural area where the roads are bad? Yes, it's perfect for that. Absolutely. Yep. But, uh, man, we're going to find out that uh, a lot of people don't do that. And then I think that gets to, to what you're going to talk about later. Is that right, right. Okay. Right. So at later, later on. I'll save it. Ben is going to have a rant and, uh, and we'll have to, in, well, I don't know. I don't want to say endure it, but. Just uh, humor me. I'll yeah, I do. Short. And you know what? I'm I'm anxious to hear it because I we haven't I haven't really talked about this with you about mm-hmm. exactly what your beef is with 
the uh, the civilian version of the H one, the H one, I should say. Right, and uh, we'll be we'll be fair as always. <laughs> we are respectful of other people's viewpoints, and let's get back to just the basic stats here. The engine is pretty impressive. It's a V eight. It is diesel. It's six point two liter displacement. Uh, the horsepower one hundred and fifty. 3600 rpm. Yeah, that's uh that's wow. Not a lot of horsepower, mm-hmm. not a lot of uh not a lot of engine speed. Right. Um and a 3-speed automatic. Um, you can imagine that this thing has enough torque to uh to pull your house over. I right. Mean, it's it's definitely it's a strong strong vehicle. It's very it's geared very low. Mm-hmm. Um it's got a 2-speed uh locking chain driven transfer case. Um uh, man, well the military version has a 24 volt um, electrical system. Right, and that's not on the civilian version mm-hmm. on, on any of them. It also has a, uh, it's got a 25-gallon tank. Its maximum speed is 65 miles an hour. That is something that it shares with the civilian H1, I found out. Because uh, I remember a long time ago when uh, when the H1 first came out, um, mm-hmm. I was working at a landscaping company, oh, and, yeah. uh, and I was just, I was pestering the owner constantly to purchase an H1 as uh, as our vehicle to pull, you know, the trailers and mm-hmm. to uh, to do just landscaping jobs in in suburbia Detroit, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, not that we needed that, you know, this is more for like the mountains almost or something, sure. um, or extreme off road. But I felt uh, I felt very strongly that we needed to get an H1 uh, in our fleet of vehicles that was there. And of course, you know, I'm just some, you know, I'm a laborer really, uh, a guy working around the nursery there in the landscaping company, and and I'm saying like, well, yeah, sure, we need to buy this. Uh, what was it, sixty? Five seventy thousand dollar vehicle. Oh, yeah, in, it wasn't in, cheap in the mid eighties, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, of course, it, it fell on deaf ears. Really, I mean, I, I even went so far as to bring in brochures and leave them on the owner's desk. <laughs> no, you didn't. I really did because uh, <laughs> they were showing all the applications. Uh, you know that you could. Uh, of course, you know these are used by like firefighting teams, and sure. I think there were some landscapers in there. Now that I think about it, um, they, they were used as rescue vehicles and all these extreme situations. And I'm here. I am looking at it as more like you know something to uh, haul trees around the city. Well, if you think about it, don't beat yourself up too much because I'm I can get on board with that. As far as a machine for small business, these these are great because they do have a lot of power. They are versatile um, within their parameters, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad investment. No, and I desperately wanted to drive it. I am going to be honest with you. You. You might have sounded a little bit like a kid around Christmas. I I actually was, yeah. And I, I eventually gave it up after about a year. So um, we're going – it's interesting you say giving up because we're going to uh, tie into that later. But one of the things that people really appreciated about the Hummer when it came out is that this um, this could be finally fitted to – uh, suit, you know, it could be kind of custom built or bespoke, as our friends across the pond would uh, say. Yes, um, with uh, some different armor variants, which which were huge, and um, it also had a huge following in the civilian world. You know, way before the actual H one came out. Sure, people people really wanted to have one, and when the H one first came out, it was a huge status symbol. You know, especially amongst entertainers and athletes. Yeah, and maybe one of the biggest proponents of this thing, and the uh, the reason that a lot of people really took notice of this whole thing, 
was because of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yes. And he, I think he still probably owns several of these things in different, you know, variants. I'm sure he's got an H2. I'm sure he's got, I'm just guessing, speculating. I know he has an H1. We've seen that. Right. right. But, uh, but he was a huge proponent of the H1. And, um, of course, you know, then all the press and media that followed, and then, of course, you know, the actors, actresses, whoever was mm-hmm. seen around, you know, in or around them, um, it was, it was a big deal for a while. Yeah, it was seen as a one-of-a-kind vehicle, which is interesting, but it was also, um, it had this sort of aura, right, of strength and durability, mm-hmm. and it was very, uh, very American, mm-hmm. which a lot of people in our country saw as a selling point, and I'm sure, I'm just going to be honest here, I'm sure that uh, a few people outside of America saw that as kind of an insult, and they were like, well, of course, the guys who invented supersized fries would would drive a Hummer around. <laughs> of course. but the American um, excess, right? That's probably right. what it is. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Before mm. before we go too much farther here, I want to, I want to, I know you've got some other things yeah, to yeah. talk about as well. I want to talk about production and production facilities and, you know, civilian model production, things like that. But I think sure. first we need to take a short break. All right. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Scott, when we talk, before we move to production numbers, just real quick, we should point out that the H1, um, according to AM themselves, doesn't have too many differences to the military, to the Humvee, right? That's right. We talked about the 20, you already mentioned the 24 volt electrical system, which is Mm -hmm. present in the Humvee, but not the H1. We also talked about the, uh, oh, we haven't talked about rather the ballistic protection. And that would be, of course, the armor. Obviously, for the military application, right? Right. Not in the H1, but as we know, you can get, uh, you can get your own car armored. You can get almost any car armored if you ask the right people. Yeah, we've done some great shows about that yeah. in the past, right? Some, some remarkable vehicles have been transformed into armored automobiles. Mm, surprisingly uh, effective, too. Um, then there's another thing called chemical agent resistant coating or CARC paint. Uh, in camouflage, and the military Humvees get that, but the H1 doesn't. There's also one thing that the H1 definitely has that the Humvee does not. What's that? That would be driver compartment waterproofing. Oh, yeah, definitely. You absolutely need that because, uh, man, this thing can really ford deep water. Um, I think uh, 60 inches deep is what uh, what the military application is. Um, mm. Now, I think uh, it's slightly less for the uh, for the civilian version, but, I mean, it does have a, uh, what is it, like a 16-inch clearance, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly how high the door line is on these things, but, uh, but I'm sure they can cross deep water regardless. Um, now, the other thing that it had, that the military version has that the civilian version doesn't have, as you can guess, guess here, is probably the, uh, a turret with machine gun mount. You cannot get that on your civilian H1 unless you go to some, you know, you know, uh, machine fabricator and have one built in. Yeah, which might be kind of gray market. Check your local laws, depending on what you want to <laughs> put right. on you that to, turret. You have to check the underground for that one. So we were going to talk about production numbers, too. And we know that um, in June of 1981, when AM General did secure the contract uh, to develop prototype vehicles mm-hmm. for more testing, uh, they were given the they were also given the initial production contract for 55,000 uh, Humvees. That's quite a few Humvees, really. I mean, these are uh, these are major vehicles. It's it's got to take a lot to build them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I never found a production number as far as uh, as far as the time it took to build one of these. I don't know if you dug up that number or not. I was still digging. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't even know if they're going to uh, if they're going to even publish something like that. It may be out there somewhere, but mm-hmm. I couldn't find one. I know that something like this. I mean, it, it, they're hand built. Um, you know, and, and they're very heavy duty. There's a lot that goes into them, and I'm sure that you know people. Really customize these, these, like you, you mentioned the bespoke thing. I mean, when <laughs> right. we're looking at these, uh, these list of options between the, the military Humvee and the civilian Hummer H1, 
Uh, there's a huge long list. And I mean, it's, it's electrical things. I mean, I'm sure that there's major electrical differences between the two. Um, you know, the, like blackout lighting mode, which is available on the, uh, um, military version, not on the civilian, and the, the rifle mounts and the uh, sure. turrets and all that. And there are also cosmetic amenities that are available in the civilian version. That you would just why why would you even put that in a military vehicle? Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, as far and it goes right down to paint prep, even as you mentioned with mm-hmm. the uh, the chemical agent resistant coating. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there, there's great variation in in these in these H ones, and uh, I'm sure that it, it took an awful lot to put them together. Now that's true. Let's I'm going to plant a seed here um, because when the uh, when the Humvee first saw action, I, I think you are right that most. U.S. citizens, most U.S. residents became familiar with the Humvee from seeing footage of the Gulf War. Sure, mid-80s. Yeah, mid-80s. Um, but the, uh, let's see, the, the first real combat that these saw was in Operation uh, Just Cause. Oh, no kidding. Which is uh, Panamanian, the invasion of Panama. Hmm. And uh, the other thing that's interesting here, this is the seed I'm planting, and you can see where I'm going with this, Scott. Um the Humvee, which was intended to sort of be all things to all service members, um, it wasn't designed for some stuff that later became super important, and that would be most notably small arms, mm-hmm. IEDs, which would be improvised explosive devices. Yeah, yeah, and we've got some news on that a little bit later, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. But, uh, but where we are now is still a really happy moment, which is that uh, AM General – Already riding high off getting this contract made one of the most popular vehicles that people literally could not get their hands on without joining the army. So they partnered up with uh, a little car company you may have heard of. Uh, called General Motors, mm-hmm. right? Yep, that's right. And, uh, you know, before we get just, I mean, just a second, you know, we have to go back just, just a moment in time, uh, to say that, you know, the AM General Hummer, the H1, was assembled in, uh, Mishawaka, Indiana, mm-hmm. and, uh, they began production around 1992, and the production ceased in 2006. So they, they produced for quite a long time there. Oh, um, and, uh, they are, I'm sorry, also, uh, AM General, I don't think we've said it, they're based in South Bend, Indiana. Oh, very good. Okay, so that's right next door to, uh, Mishawaka, I believe, um, in Northern Indiana. Now, um, when you mentioned that, uh, you know, they teamed up with, uh, with GM mm-hmm. in 198, I'm sorry, 1999. Yep. And they, of course, GM right away said, we're going to redesign this, we're going to, uh, we're going to produce something called the, uh, the, well, they call it the AM General Hummer H2. Um, cause it's still kind of a collaboration between the two at that point. Um, again, at the Mishawaka, Indiana facility. And, um, they produced that until about 2009, which is really towards the end of Hummer production. Right. Um, they also had a facility, GM had another facility in South Africa, um, around East Cape, uh, let's see, South, yeah, South Africa, where they produced the H3 until about 2009. And then GM had another plant in, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana that they opened in around 2005. Um, to, and they expanded a plant that was already there to build the H3. And I think it was in J- uh, July of 2009 that they finally shut that down. Now that one, Ben, we talked about, um, Elio Motors in the past. Right. That is the Elio Motors plant. That's the one that they purchased. Oh, um, so okay. remember the shutter GM plant? That's, yeah. uh, that's the Elio, the now Elio Motors, the three wheel vehicle that has no name. I did not know that. Yeah, that's the one, the same one. So, um, and then an, a company in Russia, um, and a, 
they actually licensed a version of the H2 to be able to build it until about 2009. Um, so, man, I, I guess I can sum it up quickly if you'd like. All I mean, right. Just the H1 models, 1992 to 2006, mm-hmm. based on the Humvee, of course. The H1, 2003 to 2009, and that was built on, um, uh, let's see, a GM heavy-duty truck frame. Mm-hmm. And then the H3, which is 2005 to 2010, that was built on a uh, the Chevy Colorado and then GMC Canyon platform, which are both pickups. So, and one one big thing that I think we need to mention here when we just because we're glossing over the H2, right? And because we're going to get back to you know the the Humvee and mm-hmm. H1. Um, do you remember the H2? Uh, I don't know if it's literally scan. I can't really call it a scandal or not, but uh, I was working as a contractor for GM at the time, and there was a lot of talk about this going on because they were still in, they were right in the middle of H2 production. Okay. And people were coming back to the dealership saying, there's got to be something wrong with my H2. There's 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 absolutely something wrong with it. I'm only getting like three, four, maybe five miles per gallon. <laughs> right. So they would have these technicians ride along with them and say, you know, there's got to be something wrong. Mm. Well, as it turns out, you know, the the, uh, the EPA fuel economy numbers for these things were only 9 to 11 miles per gallon under good circumstances, under the best circumstances. Right. So, you know, you found out that, like, real quickly, a lot of people were saying, like, I can't really live with a vehicle that's only getting, you know, four or five, six miles per gallon, and, or even less in some cases, depending on if they were hauling a boat or whatever they were doing. Sure, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people really were turned off at that point. My father in law was one who uh he had a, a pretty bad experience with them you know that uh he right away jumped on it because it was the, the vehicle to have uh-huh. and then uh and then reali- quickly realized like it's just it's you couldn't do it they have an h2 an h2 so okay i'm glad you brought this up because this is one of the things that we need to address we need to highlight this one scott um these things have fantastic power and horrible mileage like horrible efficiency and it's because when you consider um when you consider the the root of the issue a military vehicle does not necessarily need to be well-rounded in a way that a civilian vehicle would right and something really big happened around this time uh right as the i think even in the h1 when the h1 was out and people were jumping aboard the train um gas prices Bite. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there was a, a huge increase in gas prices. It, it, what was it like uh, around 2006, seven, eight? You know, around those there, in mid 2000s, let's just say, because sure. I'm not sure ex- exact years. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the fuel prices went way up, and so people weren't uh, weren't all gung ho about filling a you know a 25 gallon tank anymore. Yeah, and the problem with that, it's not even whether or not you wanted to. It's that some people who literally couldn't afford to own these these H1s and H2s got stuck with them because it was so expensive just to drive it for a week you know and uh we have this we have this weird calculation often when we're civilian car owners right and it's it's the cost of ownership which again as you and I have pointed out a lot more people should do this kind of calculation before they commit to buying a vehicle mm-hmm. and paying for it for years but this um, this calculation has a couple of weak spots or things that can change on you unexpectedly. And the price of gas is one. It's safe to always assume that gas will go up, but it's not it's not safe to assume that you will know how much gas will be, you know, two years down the road. 
um, or, you know, the degree to which it will increase. And so this really caught people out. And it didn't just catch the U.S. Um, civilian population out. It caught the U.S. military out, too, because gas, as as we've talked about before, is enormously expensive when you think about the supply chain to get that to get that fuel from a refinery to um, a conflict area or even just a forward base. Yeah, have you seen the numbers? I, I don't have the number in front of me of what it costs, but a gallon of fuel is exponentially more expensive to, for a military vehicle than it is for a civilian vehicle because of the, like you said, transporting it from wherever, wherever it starts at all the way to you know the final use on the battlefield. And so this stuff all... All combines this this problem with the gasoline being the primary driver here. Uh, this this combines to spell uh, spell the beginning of the end for uh, not just the H ones, H twos, and H threes. Oh, we should talk about the H threes, but the Humvee as well. And briefly, the H three, I guess we should point out, was an attempt to reach a middle ground, right, where you want the power of the traditional H1 or Humvee, and then you want um, a little bit of a less insane uh, fuel cost, right? Yeah, yeah the uh, the fuel economy went up just a bit on that one. Mm. And it's still a, a you know a huge yeah not vehicle. that much. No, right. it's a, it's a massive vehicle. I mean, it's built on a on a great big uh, GM truck frame already or underpinnings. You know, of the uh, I think I said the Colorado and the uh, GMC Canyon. Yeah, and it's so, smaller than an H1 or H2. Exactly. Yeah, it's a little bit smaller. Um, it's it's I mean, it got the same basic body shape really. Yeah. But um, again, this thing is still. You know, between 4,700 and 4,900 pounds. Uh, it's a big, big vehicle. Uh, it's not really a commuter vehicle, but you know what? We're, we're getting, at this point with the H3, we're getting so far away from what the military initial application was for this thing. I mean, look right. at, look at an H1 or, or a Humvee versus an H3. And there's a big, big difference there. Of course, there's not much difference between the uh, H2 and H3. Not a whole lot. Right. I don't. Not, not like, uh, visually. Exactly, and uh, in, and even between the H1 and the H2, there's a significant difference. Yeah. Um. So we're getting just farther and farther away from the the military application, and uh, and maybe that's that's part of the big problem. But you know what? I know we've got uh, your 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 big rant to go on here, <laughs> and we want to talk about you know what eventually happened to the Hummer line. Yeah. Uh. But first, I think we need to take a quick break again. <laughs> Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together, and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes 
that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. And this time, when we returned, we are back in 2010, when word got out that the Department of Defense was going to be looking for a vehicle to replace the Humvee program. And this is far from an uncommon thing because, of course, when you're in charge of such a huge fleet of vehicles with such a huge um, variety of missions, you have to, you, you have to constantly be reassessing and evolving your plans and with this, um, with this huge amount of money that happens whenever these kind of contracts are awarded, uh, the bloodshed began. Yeah, that's right. And man, what a, what a, can I just say? What a terrible time that was for GM to buy the Hummer brand. They bought it in 1999. They yep. started building the uh, the H2 and then the H3, of course. You know, they bought you know the the H1 was was relatively successful. I mean, you know, there's limited number of production, but people were still fond of it. Mm-hmm. They bought the H. Two people loved it, really. People but, did, but that was right about the time when the real crackdown started to come on the uh, on the big um, big SUVs and the big uh, the big. I was going to say eight cylinder vehicles, but you know anything that was really a gas hog at that yes, time. Yep. And uh, you know the SUVs were really um, kind of a uh, the thorn in their side at that point because they had really invested quite a bit of money in in a lot of big vehicles at that point. A lot of companies had. It's not just GM. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were really taking a financial hit on these things. They couldn't you know get them off the lots. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of trouble going on. And, man, I, I think I want to say that 2000, like the late 2000s were a bad time for GM because, you know, they lost the Pontiac brand in 2010. They lost Saturn in mm-hmm. 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, Hummer was for sale by 2008, which was actually a year before any kind of uh, GM bankruptcy came up. Right. Because uh, yeah, that's been headlines for a long, long time. And, and until the very end, uh, not to interrupt, but until right. the very end, uh, GM was working on some things to 
sort of revitalize this brand, mm-hmm. make it more approachable. Uh, they most notably they did the Hummer HX, a 2008 concept vehicle. Is that the uh, the topless one? Uh, I believe so, but yeah. it doesn't. Um, but it didn't work. Hmm. Okay, that, that that's kind of going back to the military roots because there was a uh, an open top military version, I think, yeah. for a while, wasn't there? I don't yeah. remember which model that was, but I, I mean, it was an interesting concept. I'll give them that. Well, yeah, um, that's the thing with concept cars, though. You know, they they're always interesting ideas, yeah. but an interesting idea is not necessarily a viable vehicle. That's, and, that's true. And um, you know, the the Hummers at this time, the Humvees at least, um, were were being put in situations that would, they were not originally designed to be in. And we know that this became um, a very, very uh, important thing to address when service members who had been using uh, uh, Humvees, which were originally intended, just so everybody knows, to be very versatile, but not necessarily frontline vehicles mm-hmm. during urban warfare, um, service members were finding that these were often inadequate for what their assigned mission would be. So they would have um, they would have vehicles that didn't have sufficient armor or they would end up being trapped somewhere, uh, you know, cut off from the rest of the group. And uh, with something like that, uh, it very clear, it very quickly became clear that these could be, in in an unintended way, incredibly dangerous. Well, sure. I mean, okay, so we're we're kind of bouncing back and forth between military yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. civilian. Now, I, I totally understand what you're saying because we did hear an awful lot about the uh, the armored vehicle thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much armor do they need? You know, some vehicles that didn't have it, you know, that the, they found out that, you know, I, I think there were troops that thought that it was armored, but it wasn't. Right. Uh, that was a big problem. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of military issues going on at that time as and well. And I'm, I'm just bringing that up so that we can show that there's a parallel decline. Oh, I understand. Now I got you. Okay, because mm-hmm. I, I was, uh, I wondered, because I was, I was in the middle of talking about each three and then we're back to military, but now yeah. I totally get it. I, mm-hmm. I understand the, uh, the parallel fall here because, um, you know, by 2010, uh, GM had, uh, well, they were ready to sell. I mean, they were right, ready to sell in right. 2008. They were ready to sell by 2010. And there was a, uh, an interested, um, uh, offer or an interesting offer from a, uh, an, I'll call it an obscure Chinese machinery maker, as I've seen it listed somewhere, because yeah. I can't, I cannot pronounce the name. Nothing thing. sketchy about that description. Yeah, no, nothing <laughs> at all. But but the bid was a pretty big bid. They bid um, $150 million. They were going to buy the the, uh, the the Hummer brand from GM and continue to produce these Hummers in China. Mm-hmm. And you know they, they thought, well, this is this is great. You know, it's going to it's going to help us out because we're in the middle of a bankruptcy here. Uh, we need you know we need the money. Plus, we'll able to be able to keep this uh, this well, it's an iconic line really going on at this point. Right. So uh, I guess it, it just kind of fell apart there in the last minute. Um, the uh, the bid to buy the Hummer line failed. I think it was turned down by the Chinese regulators in early 2010, and uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, it just kind of fizzled out at that point. Now all. Hummer production, I just want to mention this, all Hummer production ended in 2009. So, you know, mm-hmm. it was a year prior to this whole proposed sale. So, you know, it was going to be a, like a restart of the manufacturing process, really. So 2009 is the last year of the Hummer. And, um, man, I know, I know you were just mentioning the military stuff, and, and they were on a similar fall, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, the military was on a – or the, the military applications of the vehicle were on a similar fall. And I know – 
we kind of did a short attention span theater, jumping back and forth between that. <laughs> Even but, I was having a little trouble keeping up, but but uh, but I think we got the point across that GM and the military were both saying maybe we need to move on to something new here. Right, and the military specifically was is uh, was slash is looking for a next generation vehicle that can be resistant to bomb blasts, light enough to be transported by helicopter, and versatile enough to handle varied terrains. That's now, a tall order. That is a tall order. I mean, we thought the Hummer was the Humvee was supposed to be a silver bullet, but that's a that that's one heck of a of a bill. Well, know? yeah, sure. When you consider everything else that it has to be able to do, I mean, be, to be an armored vehicle, of course, mm-hmm. you know, that that the can withstand um, IED blasts in some cases, right? Right. To be affordable, troop transport, be able to have all these add-ons. Of course, you know, the twenty-four volt electrical systems and. You know, the uh, the central tire inflation that the uh, military applications have, the run flats, mm-hmm. all that stuff is, you know, it's just more weight, more weight, more weight added on. And uh, to be able to transport them via helicopter, um, you know, to be built within these different stand- these standards that they're giving them, mm-hmm. um, it's a tough it's a tough thing to do. Now, now maybe some modern uh, materials are going to help that quite a bit. I'm sure that, you sure. know, they're looking at advanced uh, high-tech materials, they, they just say high-tech a lot of times. but Right. I think a lot of that is because there there is a certain um, level of secrecy that just has to be required. Of course. And uh, not to be, not, not to be um, throwing allegations around, but as we know, uh, often when it comes to any sort of military technology, the United States and China are very touchy with each other because uh, – they, uh, because military manufacturers in the United States and the U.S. government don't want to put, um, don't want to put technology that is supposed to be secret or supposed to give somebody an edge in a conflict, um, in the hands of anyone who can reverse engineer it. So I am not surprised, uh, for that, uh, some, that they're, they've had tough times reaching deals, even for something as seemingly innocuous as selling a brand. You know what? That's, this is, uh, reminding me of the, uh, the stealth hol- helicopter thing with, uh, the Ben Led, uh, yeah, Bin with Laden, Bin Laden. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you remember the, uh, the, the helicopter that didn't make it out of the compound? Right. And, in, uh, uh and Pakistan. It's supposed to be destroyed, but then suddenly the Chinese are there buying parts of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, that's, uh, boy, there's a lot to, uh, to talk about. Yeah, there. and that's, a, that's very much, and that, that's one of the best examples I can think of, of the, the, the concerns about proprietary technology, because, uh, if it's supposed to be a stealth vehicle, in this example, one of the ways to make it never again a stealth vehicle is for everybody else to understand how it's sneaking around. Yeah, that's right. Here, here's an here's an example of it, and we're putting it right in your hands. No, I'm not saying that happened in the Humvees case, but that is something that we should be aware of when we're talking about well, why why aren't more foreign companies interested in in the Hummer or in the Humvee? And at this point, there is a huge Huge debate going on in D.C. inside the Beltway uh, to figure out what is going to be the next generation of military vehicles. And there's so much money involved. Mm -hmm. There's so very much money involved um, that all of uh, I don't want to say all of, but really big players are coming in and and trying to grab this 
this golden apple, you know. So look for something new coming soon, really, because, uh, you know, they're not going to waste a whole lot of time on this. I know that, you know, the process takes a long time, you mm-hmm. know, all the contracts and the building and the manufacturer and the testing and all that. But um, we've seen some now I, I know we've seen a lot of really interesting sketches and I know that sketches are just sketches. Right. But yeah. you, you and I were talking about this before we went on air. And for a while, they were talking about flying Humvees. Oh, yes. Our friends at DARPA, the uh, the real life mad science department. Uh, was discussing uh, creating uh, a Humvee that could also fly. Now, this was a number of years ago, and I think this is before um, this is before a lot of people anticipated drones filling a lot of the roles that drones fill now. Um, but the sketches, I'm going to be honest. Really, Scott, they look kind of goofy. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, a lot of them had a, uh, a skeletal frame, so mm. that there were troops in uh, in looked like in wide open transporters, yeah, uh, that were below wings, and uh, it just it looked a little bit crazy. But then again, these are the early, early sketches, and who knows, maybe. Just maybe, maybe there'll be a flying vehicle out there, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm <laughs> right. not for it, as you know, right. but uh, but there may be some flying vehicles in the uh, in the military's future. Who knows? And we should also point out that this, by these changes, these contract changes, by no means uh, mean that the Humvee is getting thrown out in the streets in the cold. No, it could be just a big modification, really. Right, it could be just a large upgrade. We know that the Marines have been working with some upgrades. Uh, General Dynamics. Uh, Flyer is something that's in the mix here, and 80% of it is either just commercial stuff you can buy off the shelf or components that are compatible with Humvees. Interesting. So, you know, again, when we have so many of these vehicles, uh, it's it's not just really difficult. It's also very ill-advised to just cut off, cut them off completely. At most, uh, there might be, there's a phasing out process well, if sure. this happens. I mean, you've got something that works why completely wipe the slate clean when uh, when you can kind of maybe blend the two together for a while and then eventually transition one out? And that's probably what's going to happen here. Right. That is probably what's going to happen, and that would be the future of it. Now, let's go back to the commercial vehicles, just the civilian ones. Um, here's my rant. All right. Got it. Now, you and I have not talked about this off-air, Ron, you just know that I have some sort of beef. I do. Okay. Here it is. I think that Humvees are excellent machines. The way that they are built for what they are supposed to do is great. And a lot of the problems that both consumers and the service have had with these vehicles is that they've been put in positions that they weren't built to be put in or they have been um, inadequately modified to the point they needed to be, right? Uh, like they needed heavy armor on the undercarriage and things like that. And then also... Um, they're not built to be high-mileage machines, right? So we see that with almost every vehicle. Like, you're not going to make a Bugatti Veyron your daily driver. You're not going, and, and uh, you're not going to make um, a, a road train, you know, you're going around the city vehicle. Sure, so every vehicle has a purpose, and maybe this one isn't being used for its intended purpose all the time. You are hitting the nail on the head in such a diplomatic way, because I know that it's a status symbol, and I know that there are thousands of small businesses, um, even like ranch owners, people in environments where you can't really trust the roads to be dependable, sure. who, who need vehicles like this. If not specifically a Humvee or a H1, they need something like that. Yeah, I think I mentioned fire rescue or forestry services and places like that on, on old logging roads. Mm-hmm. Um, those are 
great applications for this vehicle. So what bothers me sometimes with these vehicles when they first came out is that a lot of people who had no experience driving a heavier vehicle, uh, they had what my grandfather would call more money than sense, would just buy one of these and drive it around, Scott, in the city like it was just a like like it was just you know a Camry or something, yeah. and that the reason that bothers me is because it's too big for some of the close quarters. Unless here's my important caveat before anybody who owns an H1 and knows how to drive it gets mad at me. Unless you know what you're doing, and I know that our listeners know what they're doing. I'm not complaining about them. I'm complaining about specifically a yellow H1 that slowed down at every speed bump and made me late for my first interview at HowStuffWorks.com. That's right. This is personal. <laughs> I <laughs> so mean, you have, you have, a, uh, you have a, a dog in this fight then, really? So yeah, I'm joking a little bit, but, yeah. well, you know, <clears throat> but ben, it is true. You, you make a very good point about uh, about the size of the vehicle for most applications, too, because uh, city driving, it's not it's not adept at that, really. I mean, and you have to be a, a very conscientious driver to drive something that big that takes up the full lane of traffic, really. I mean, yeah. from edge to edge, and it's a, it's a long vehicle. It's 15 feet long. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a reasonable length. But, you know, I've I've sat in one of these things. I've never driven one. Okay. I've sat in one. They're so big that, you know, if you and I were to sit in the uh, driver and passenger seat and reach our arms out, we could, we could touch fingertips, maybe. Mm-hmm. Between them, it's there's that much space between the driver and the passenger. The the uh, the the tunnel down the middle is so enormous, and it's and it's you know armpit high. You mm-hmm. know when you reach over, it's really really high. Um, it just recalling what it was, but uh, yeah, I think I wonder if if. Uh, Hummer ever gave a driver's education course to anybody who bought these. Like, you know, when you buy some of these high-end sports cars and they, and they kind of, they have to teach you how to drive them because otherwise you're going to end up wrapping it around a tree the minute you leave the dealership. Exactly. And that's what I think should have happened. I don't, I looked into it. I don't know if it is. Hummer right now has a very active, um, and I think expertise filled community. You can join the Hummer club. You can check out a Hummer academy. You can meet people in the forums who will give you great advice on the maintenance of your Hummer, how to optimize its performance, how to even modify it to to your wishes specifically. Uh, my point is just if you if you are going to buy a vehicle like this, and, and I don't mean just a Hummer, Scott. I mean, if you're going to buy any vehicle that has extraordinarily abnormal traits, like the Hummer's power is great. It's amazing, then you owe it to yourself and every other driver, especially if you're, if you're going to be driving it in the city, you owe it to yourself to make sure that you are familiar with your vehicle. That's, yeah, that's the case with any vehicle. I right? just saw, I'm just saying, I just saw a lot of people buying them and not knowing what they were doing. You know, I still see a few of them around town and I haven't really noticed anybody having any trouble with it. I guess at this point, you know, they're, they're accustomed to driving it in tighter situations. Yeah, maybe it's about, when it was newer. And I am talking about the H1, the big ones. I've seen a few, I see a few of those here and there. It's not very often anymore, mm-hmm. but they're, they're around still. And, I, uh, I they, mainly see H1s they, and they, H2s. They do stand out. I mean, they're, they're enormous vehicles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for a while, you know, a lot of vehicles were really big and they weren't as stand out as they are now, but now they really uh, stick out like a sore thumb. And, uh, uh, and I haven't really noticed any problem with anybody in an H1, uh, you know, veering out of the lanes or having trouble with it. I think sure. at this point they're accustomed to driving in tighter situations. So, yeah, eh, people are getting the hang of it. People are getting the hang of it. And, again, I think that these are good vehicles. I, I love big cars. You know that. I love land yachts. And 
Um, I have also been with the interior of these. Um, I did get to drive one in a parking lot one time. Really? Yeah. And then I, and that's when, when I really felt vindicated and going on the soapbox because I was able to say, um, I'm not going to name who it is because it is one of my friends who does maybe have a little more money than sense. He doesn't own it anymore because he was one of those people who at first was cool with the gas mileage on paper. But then when it started, when he started to see it on the paper from his bank, he had a problem yeah, with sure. it. Yeah, sure. Or if it needs a replacement tire. Right. Or two could. or four. Yep. That's it, when it gets expensive. It does get expensive. And, um, driving it around, it, it, it does drive differently. It's a bigger vehicle. It's designed for different stuff. It just, um, it just, it irritates me because I don't think there's anything wrong with SUVs. It, it, I'm one of those guys who I think that if you know what you're doing in your vehicle, then by God, you should be able to drive any street legal vehicle you want, right? But don't just, don't just hop in. Don't just hop out of your Geo Metro <laughs> and hop into your H1. Oh, going from a Metro to, to a I just did H1. it for the size difference. Yeah, I understand. So when you're <clears> driving it, was there uh, just no sense of where the other three corners of the vehicle were? It was in a, it was in parking lot at a school. So we were, we were pretty safe, but I, you know what? I went a little power mad. I was like, wow, this is amazing. This yeah. is, and then, uh, the price for this test drive, um, was, was going, uh, to the gas station and filling it up. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's yeah. an expensive test drive. Uh, it was about half empty. Um, it was about half empty when we were at the gas station. Yeah, so what's like, that about 80 bucks? Oh man, I don't want to. I don't want to put them on blast. But, <laughs> oh, I don't know. but that's that's the end of my soapbox, and I think that applies again to um, to exotic cars, uh, performance vehicles. I think it really it really applies um, to anything that has those extraordinary capabilities. And um, you know, maybe I'm making a mountain out of molehill, and I certainly don't want to offend anybody. But I think we are all familiar with um, how irritating it can be in traffic. When you see someone who doesn't understand how to drive the vehicle they're driving. And when the H1 first came out, I saw a lot of people who didn't know what they were doing. And I was fine with it. You know, I tested it, Scott. I'm not saying that uh, there's a reason I didn't buy one. I mean, it's the money, but also <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. want, I would want to be familiar. So that's it. That's, I'm sorry. Oh, fair enough. I'm that's, ranting. uh, you've made, uh, made some good points. And, you know, I, I agree with most of those. So yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> but um, let's see, we already mentioned the communities. We mentioned uh, the forums. We would like to hear from our listeners. Uh, you guys, tell us what you think about your experiences with uh, the Humvees. Um, you know what I thought when I first drove it? I thought, man, I should just buy one of these and live in it. I don't. It's so big, I don't have to pay rent. It's like a studio apartment, really. It, it may have been bigger than my apartment at the time. <laughs> it might have been, yeah, it's huge. But uh, but we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we would like to hear from you, especially oh, if you've got a modified or customized Humvee. If you have experience with these vehicles, even if you don't own one now, uh, drop us a line. You can check us out on Facebook. You can also give us a tweet. Oh, and people should check out our brand-new website. That's right. We've got uh, carstuffshow.com, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of new information there. There's the blogs. There's You can catch the podcast there. Uh, let's see. There's videos that we produce. Yep. Um, man, there's just all kinds of stuff. And uh, that's where you can find the latest development with our, with our show here. And we have a lot of interesting, surprising stuff coming down the pike. We're not going to spoil the surprise except to say stay tuned and 
If you'd like to get in touch with us about absolutely anything, send us an email at carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.